So if this is your first week to come to Wellspring Church um, and or to join in online, if this is your first week, then you're joining us in the second part um, of a series. And um, we're talking about sex. So um, just, you know, just in case you didn't know that that's what we're talking about. I'm feeling a little bit echoey, so I'm just going to keep talking while you work out, you know, what you can do with buttons that I can't do. Um, but just as, we, just as an on-ramp, I just want to um, say there's a piece of paper near most of your seats um, to invite you to a fundraising breakfast um, for Dignify. This is a, another charity that has come out of the life of this church where we get to talk a lot about healthy relationships for children and young people. Um, and there's so much of what is happening in and through Dignify is a reimagining of a narrative. And we'll kind of fold this a little bit into today's sermon. But I just want to draw your attention. We would love you to come. We would love your money. We would love your prayer. We would love your investment. Um, I'm not going to tell you lots of things that are going on right now, but this is the charter we're introducing um, to Watford initially. And we're getting to have amazing conversations in and around incredible organizations in the town, in the community, with business leaders, with education leaders, to help reimagine a better narrative for our children and young people. There has never been such an exciting opportunity to be a re-architect to say, okay, this that has been built, we're now going to see how we can reimagine and make something even better for the glory of God. And um, so I encourage you um, to be able to participate in that, if you can. Look, we're in a series. Am I still echoing? Is it going to do your head in? I'll just carry on and ignore it. Just if you all start walking out, I'm going to, you know... <laughs> Um, we're in this series and we're journeying through Corinthians. And the reason why we're doing that is because the Lord has encouraged us as a church family in our journey to understand what is essential, in our journey to understand what it is to live in wholehearted worship, what it is to have fully Holy Spirit-filled living, what it is to have authentic relationships. He's taking us through the letter to the Corinthians that Paul wrote. And so we come, came last week to chapter five and now we're sort of looking in chapter six. So we're talking about sex because Paul was writing about sex. And so we're not crowbarring anything in, but it's so good we get to, in the house of God, talk about sex. It needs to be talked about more often because a lot of people are really uncomfortable with it. So breathe, breathe, all will be well. It's an important conversation because Jesus has got something to say. Now, it's important to remember when we're talking about Corinthians that we are in a letter. It is a letter that Paul wrote to the people of Corinth in response to a letter they had written to him, in response to things he had heard from from them. It is a part of a conversation, and we are getting one side of a double-sided conversation. And if you've ever eavesdropped into somebody on a telephone call, and you're hearing what they're saying, and you're trying to make up what you think the other person is saying, this is the tension and the danger that we have, is that we have to understand so much of what Paul was saying was contextual to the people of Corinth. Yet, as I said last week, all scripture, as Timothy wrote, is God-breathed, God-inspired, and useful to teach us and correct us and to guide us and to lead us. So there is something still, because the breath of God is in it, there is something that is still relevant to us today. Last week, you'll remember, I was talking from Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 5, where Paul was really challenging the church to their own accountability, to the removal of hypocrisy, to the pressing in to the things of the kingdom of Christ, but at the same time being more compassionate to the people of the world. 
And we have that tension. And I know for many of you, because I've had emails and lots of conversations, there is this tension of what it is to hold the church and ourselves to high, high, high standards in Jesus and what it is to extend grace by the bucket load my word, not Paul's, but grace by the bucket load to the people around us, to sit with them, to live around them, to work with them, but to extend grace to them and not expect them to live to the standard of the book of the word of God like we do, because they've not yet met the author of the book of the word. So therefore, this tension to extend grace is where we live. Jesus himself was misunderstood as being somebody who was condoning sin by sitting with sinners. But yet he never did. He never sinned, nor did he condone it. But did he come alongside the people and sit with them in their mess? Absolutely. And we must be a people who follow Jesus wholeheartedly, but sit with people in mess. Um, anyway, when we come to, I just say that for some emails I got. Um, when, we, um, come to, when we come to 1 Corinthians 6, we're going to skip over a few verses because David Dodwell um, is going to be bringing his expertise into those verses on disputes. And we're going to jump down to where Paul starts again talking about sex. Um, so it's a little bit, you know, pause and start. But we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 because here be- Paul again begins talking. And he says this, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheap people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Uh-oh. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We're going to pause there. We will come back to the rest of chapter 6. But let's pause for just a moment in these scriptures because there is so much in these verses that are really important to us to understand what it is for our bodies, our sexuality, to become part of the discipleship journey we're on with Jesus. And it is in all these verses and where he says, don't for yourself, because he says, those who indulge, everyone say indulge. indulge. I won't make you say lots of words, I promise. Um, those who indulge in these sins. This is important. It is the indulging in sin, not the temptation itself. It is the indulgence that leads to the problems of sin that enable people to miss out on the opportunities of intimate relationship with Jesus and therefore with the Father. It is the indulging. And it's so important we understand this because when he goes on to talk about you know, sexual sin, worshipping idols, committing adultery, male prostitution, or practicing homosexuality, I know a lot of people have got questions around homosexuality in particular, and, but it's the practice of Paul is making it very, very clear. It is the indulgence in something. It is the practice of something. It is the lifestyle that comes. It is not wrong. So for greedy people, it is not wrong to look at a cake and go, wow, that looks good. What is wrong is eating the whole cake and then going on to another one and another one and another one before you've even got out of bed in the morning. There is 
something about the practice and the indulgence that separates from the initial temptation. And when it comes to our sexuality, it's really important to hear this. And then Paul goes on to say, in these same verses, we're sticking with it. Some of you were like that once. I love that. I really love that. Heaven is going to be filled with former greedy people with former drunkards, with former abusive people, with former sexually fallen people. Heaven is going to be filled. Why? Because the grace of God is sufficient to meet every single person. So we can shake off the shame that drags us down that says, you know what, everyone else but maybe not you will be forgiven. You know what you did when you were 14 Remember what you did when you were 21? Remember what you did last week? There is a grace of Jesus. It's not cheap. It's very expensive. We'll come back to that. But there is a grace that extends. And we need to understand that when we're talking about sexuality, and especially when we're talking about that with children and young people. Because young people, when they are processing how it is to grow up and what it is to put your socks on yourself, when they are processing all this with their adolescent brains that are still being shaped and they're still learning and they're trying to figure it out, they need to know that this safe space that I talked about last week is basically a ring of grace that lavishes unconditional love on them while they process what they need to process and figure out what they need to figure out. And we need to create these safe spaces. Why? Because we messed up one time. Or if you're like me, you messed up several times, but we messed up. Rachel Gardner has written this brilliant book um, called The Sex Thing. She says this, the radical invitation at the heart of the gospel is to come to Jesus to be defined, not to come to Jesus to have your definition about yourself affirmed. Jesus wants to define us, not to simply affirm how we define ourselves. Paul is trying to remind the church, okay, there is an indulgence that can happen, that can lead to destruction, but there is also a grace that we've received and therefore we can give. Are we okay? Marvelous. Let's jump back into the end of this verse and we'll follow on because you understand when Paul was really writing this originally, he didn't sort of suddenly take this big chunk and put a title in. So I have really messed with his letter. I'm so sorry, Paul. Right, we're coming back to um, verse 11. Let's go with the flow here. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. Thank you, Jesus. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the spirit of our God. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. I don't know if he said it with that emphasis, but I feel he would have done had he could. I am, you, okay, you know, everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. So if you want your cake, no, no. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord And the Lord cares about our bodies. Oh, the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised the Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually part of Christ? 
Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. For the scriptures say the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God brought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. The Bible narrative from beginning to end is journeying people from slavery to freedom. It's the Old Testament. The Israelites, literally captive as slaves, were taken, led by Moses. You know the stories through the wilderness. They were taken from slavery to freedom. And the whole Bible is almost this constant reminder. It's like, don't go back to slavery. I've brought you with a price. I'm leading you from freedom to freedom to freedom. So don't go back to slavery. So when Paul is saying, okay, you say you can do anything, but not everything is good for you, And then goes on to say, don't become a slave to anything. When we're thinking about our sexuality, we have to think about, okay, what are people becoming enslaved to? There might be a huge amount of freedom. But is all that freedom good for you? If that freedom suddenly leads you into a place where captivity ensues, so where an addiction kicks in, or whether a behavioral pattern that is damaging and problematic kicks in. If we become enslaved to something, then we are giving up our freedom. And the Lord is calling us not to become enslaved. And with our sexuality, this is a really important journey for us all to figure out whether we're having sex or not having sex, whether we're single, married, or any other status that we want to throw in there that I can't right now think of. But you know, all of us, if we're human, are on this journey of understanding, okay, we are called to be free. But that doesn't give us a freedom to choose to do whatever we want. As a Christ follower, what it means, it means we can choose freedom. Not a freedom to choose anything, but a choice for freedom. And this is what Paul's urging to the people that he's talking to. Now, At the beginning of this last bit that I was reading, where he's likening it to food. Now, there was a Roman mindset that said, basically, sex and food were both appetites. And so Paul is speaking to the people of Corinth and saying, okay, look, you've got your food appetite and you've got your sex appetite, according to your theories. But I want to separate these two things and actually address them differently. So Paul is trying to get the followers of Jesus to not look at their sex activities in the same way they do at their food activities. Because he's saying, okay, you know, you need food to live. You, you, you need it. You don't need sex in the same way. Now, I was doing a course just recently, or last year, and it was a course on teaching relationships and sex ed in schools. And we were given this very question, not from the gospel, but we were given this very question. And the question went like this, is sex an appetite like hunger that needs to be and must be satisfied. Now that question, you know, when you start thinking about it, it grated on me at the get-go. So I'm like, oh, I don't think so, because if you don't eat, you can die. And I know some people not having sex who are very much alive. And, but yet, around the room, around the context that we were in, 
I was a one-person voice. Everyone else was going, well, okay, we are sexual human beings and everything is about sexualized and sex is a human right and all of these explorings that came from the culture that we're in that are not dissimilar to the Roman culture, it turns out, that there is this appetite that must be satisfied. So people are processing the thought, well, to be true to myself, I need to fulfill what my sexuality is. To be true to myself, I need to sleep with the people or person that I choose to sleep with because that is being authentic to myself. And I have to be authentic to myself because otherwise it's not fair. As if sex is an appetite. Are you with me? Paul is trying to get the Corinthians to say, actually, it's not quite like that. It's not quite like that. Because when you are sexually intimate with somebody... Paul is saying a transaction kind of is no longer happening, but a locking together, a coming to as one together. Now, he refers to, when he says two become one, he's referring to um, Genesis, where in Genesis 2, the, the Bible tells us, the narrative tells us that a man will come with a woman and the two will become one, and otherwise they will have sexual relationships. And it is the same verses that Jesus drew out when he was asked about relationships. He said, okay, well, if we're talking about sex and marriage, what we're talking about is the man coming with a woman and they become one. Now, physiologically, anatomically, you know, a man and a woman together, they are effectively becoming one because they're locking in with each other. They're, they're becoming, you know, there's, they're inseparable which is one of the arguments why heterosexual sex is, you know, what God has always been referring to because it's, it's the coming into that position. But other people have discussions on that, which we're not going to go into today. But there is this, this sense of this appetite that must be satisfied. Now, what Paul is trying to get us to think about and what I think as a disciple of Christ we need to still be thinking about is that it's not about our appetite, but it's about our use of our body as an expression of who Christ is. The Lord is trying to enable us to have a narrative for our sexual relationships which is countercultural, not outdated or oppressed, but countercultural, a higher narrative. So, where the world would say it's just sex, the, the word would say it's never just sex. It's never just sex. Even if you're buying it, says Paul, from a prostitute, it's never just sex. It's not a physical activity. It's not like going for playing a game of squash. There is something going on here that is combining people together, that is joining them together, that is profound as actually becoming one with Christ. There is an intimacy that comes, says Paul. And if you know anything about relationships and seeing how people, when they've been with somebody sexually and then are no longer with that person, yet there's a heartbreak that is different than if you just break up with a friend who you've never been intimate with. Why? Because there's something about this mystery of creation that is so brilliant, but it's not an appetite that must be satisfied. People are not incomplete if they don't have sex, because the, sort of the description is available that all of us can become one with Christ, and we're not having sex with him. There's just an intimacy that actually surpasses all other relationships. I know this is tricky for a Sunday morning.
Paul wants people who are following Christ to have a higher narrative, a better narrative. Now, it's really interesting. In verse 18, it says this, run from sexual sin. Now, at this point, I think most often we've just sort of taken that as a translation to run from sex. I think it's like, run from sex. Let's not talk about sex. Let's be uncomfortable with sex. Let's just run from sex. We we don't really know what to do with this. And we'll just leave it, you know, just get some husbands and wives, put them on their own, you know, just sort it out. Because we don't want to engage. But that's not what the word of God says. It doesn't say run from sex. There are husbands and wives who struggle to talk about sex. There are husbands and wives who go to bed at different times because it's just easier than not knowing what they're meant to be doing or what's expected of them in those moments because one's actually really tired and it's like, I just want to go to sleep. But they don't have the power or the language to be able to say, I just want to go to sleep without it becoming awkward. So they just wait till the other one's asleep and sneak into bed. You might not believe me. We don't need to run from sex. Sex can be great. Sex can be amazing. You know, we were given, with our food, we were given taste buds, and they're not just for pleasure. It's not just so you can like chocolate. Taste buds are there so that you can tell when food is off. Taste buds are there so you can tell when you're just about to consume poison. It's like, oh my gosh, that's gross, don't eat it. That doesn't refer to kale, of course, go past the taste. But, you know, there's a, there's a thing that, you know, our taste buds have a function more than just pleasure. It's a bonus that, you know, you can discover some foods like kale that you really like and you think, yum. Sex, on the other hand, the anatomy of the human body has parts of the body that are created just for pleasure. They have no function whatsoever other than pleasure. Now, there's, there's debate going around um, that pleasure is never taught as part of the sex education for young people. Now, there's good reason why it's not taught, because you don't want to be telling all young people all the time, sorry, I know I am in this context, uh, well, not sorry, um, but you don't want to, in school, be just telling, oh, honestly, it's really pleasurable, crack on, because, you know, we want to encourage young people to delay sex as much as possible. Why? Because then they get to discover the better sex that's available. But if we don't talk about the pleasure, we do young people a misservice. They just think, oh my gosh, it's just something you have to do when you're married, and you're not allowed to do it now. And the pressure and the shame that is heaped on them, because actually they want to do it now, because their hormones in their bodies are wiring them that way. And we need them wired that way, because otherwise the human race ends. So, you know, the the Lord did the wiring of the brains in the first place, so let's not worry too much that he's got the wiring wrong, but let's put a context around that enables these conversations to happen safely. It is good, but it's better when you wait. Why is it better when you wait? Well, because when you wait, you get the opportunity of entering into a covenantal relationship, not a transactional relationship. There's an author called Timothy Keller. And let me see if I can find you a quote, because it's it's a really good quote. And I should every now and then look at my notes, because it helps. Um, This is what um, Timothy Keller refers to. He says this, sex outside of marriage is ultimately transactional. And so it cannot finally be intimate. Why is it transactional, you ask? Well, that's a good question. Thank you for asking. The reason why it's transactional is because you're not giving your whole self. You're not saying, I will give you my whole self for the rest of my life. I will give you my bank account. I will give you my passion. I'll give you my car keys. You're not saying, I will give you everything and I will stay with you forever. You're just saying, well, right now, come at it. It's transactional. I want some of that. You want some of this. We're doing a transaction. You're not wholeheartedly saying, I'm in, all in, forever in. 
I'm yours no matter what. Let's do life. Let's build family. Let's be part of community. Let's covenantally sign up to this. So it's transactional. It's holding back. Whatever it is, it's holding back. It's holding back. Oh, but no, surely you could live together for somebody for ages and ages and ages. Yes, of course you can, but it's really easy to walk away. Whereas when you've built a family and a marriage and you're covenantally tied in with each other, you pause and you think, okay, is this worth working through the pain? Is this worth bringing this marriage back to a better place? Now, a side caveat, because it would be irresponsible of me to do so, if people are in an abusive relationship, don't stay in it to work it out. Get out heal, restore, and if the Lord wants to bring that relationship back into order with both partners consenting and wanting to participate, okay. But if not, get out anyway, heal, restore, because nobody should stay in an abusive marriage. But other than that, marriages obviously all have difficulties. Anyone who's married will be able to tell you that. If you've been married longer than probably half an hour, you've probably realized, oh, you know, it can have challenges. Okay, maybe an hour, but get through the party. Um, But there's challenges. Now, Paul is saying there's a higher narrative, there's a better narrative, and it's beyond the transaction. Now, we're going to come to marriage um, in a few weeks' time, so I I will stop there. But what our bodies are is part of our discipleship. Many years ago, so I can't do the maths, but I was about 21, a long time ago. I was at college, um, and I was in my student house with my head down the toilet, throwing up what I'd eaten um, a bit before. It was a relatively regular habit that I had at the time. And um, I was trying to control life. There's lots of reasons. I'm not going to go into it now. This is not my therapy session. The point is, when I stood up from the toilet... I caught a look of myself in the mirror. Now, I hadn't discovered waterproof mascara at this time in my life, which was a mistake. Um, but So I looked at myself in the mirror, and I just definitely looked dodgy. But as I looked at my eyes, not just the fact that my mascara was running down my face and note to self, get waterproof, I looked at my eyes, and I literally heard Jesus say, what you were doing to your body, you were doing to mine. That was the last time my head was down the toilet, voluntarily. And it is so important I had that conversation. Why? Because six months prior, I had had this amazing moment over in El Paso, Texas, where I'd said to the Lord, anything, Lord, anything, put me on the front line, I'll go anywhere. Jesus, I love you. I'm all for you. I'm all in. You have me. But six months later, he said, okay, I get that. I get that you're going to give me your career now. I get that you're going to give me your job. I get that you're going to try and make some good choices, but will you give me your body? What you do with your body and who you do what with your body, will you give me your body? Now, this conversation was around food, but it might as well have been around sex. Because from that point on, how I lived as a follower of Jesus was different in how I used my body. Everything changed. And until we have that moment where we'll say to Jesus, okay, You can have my body. And what we're doing in that, we're giving up our right to ever have sex. We're giving up our right to ever have good sex. In case you're married when you have that moment. Because don't think that all sex is good. 
We're giving up our right of sleeping with lots of people. We're giving up our right by saying, my body doesn't belong to me anymore. And this is the beautiful thing. Whoever you are attracted to, whether it's same sex or opposite sex, whatever type of person is your type of person, all of that comes on an equal footing when we say to Jesus, my body is yours. Because then Jesus will speak into our relationships. He will guide us to how we live out this discipleship in the same way that he will guide us to live out all other aspects of our discipleship. Our sexual life is just as much part of our discipleship life as it is choosing where we live, what church we go to, what job we have, how we work the style of the way that we work, what type of employee we are, what type of employer we are. It's part of our discipleship. And we separate it out. And we just kind of put it over there. And we don't bring it into here. But Paul is saying to the people of Corinth, and we get to say together today, this is who we are. Okay. I'm going to come into land. Do the band want to? Do you want to come up to the platform and let me just see if there's anything that in two minutes' time I'll be going, oh, I just should have said that. Jesus is inviting us as a church into wholehearted worship, spirit-filled living, authentic relationships. And some of us are pulled back by shame of former activities or current activities, sexually speaking, that nobody knows about or or we think nobody knows about or because somebody is condemning us for something we did or didn't do. And, you know, today is a gift of an opportunity to bring it all to Jesus. I remind you of when he started in this passage that we said at the beginning where Paul was talking about people who won't inherit the kingdom of God. He said this, some of you were like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. This is the invitation. Will we call on the name of Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to fill us afresh, get hold of us afresh, and from this point onwards, stand up as if we're looking in the mirror with whatever mascara you choose to wear or not wear and say, what we do with our bodies, we do to Jesus. So will we bring our bodies today and say, okay, Lord, my body is yours. I give you my body just as we give an offering, just as we give our worship, we give him our bodies. Did you want to lead to prayer? You're pointing at Johnny. I'm going to pray. Then you're going to sing something beautiful because you're good at that. Me, not so much. We're all going to end up standing, but here's the invitation. I want you to close your eyes. This is private. 
You're not allowed to nudge your partner. You're definitely not to now allowed to nudge your young person. But I want to give you the opportunity with your eyes shut. Everyone shut your eyes, shut your eyes. I want to give you the opportunity of standing up in the presence of Jesus as an act of worship saying, I give you my body. And you might be thinking, I don't really know what this means and what the outworkings of this will mean on my relationships, on my circumstances. I definitely don't know what this means for the future. But right now, in this moment, I give you my body as an act of worship. And I'm going to be praying that as you do so, you're stepping into the power of the name of Jesus, that the Spirit will fill us afresh again and we can become wholehearted in our worship because we're all in. So when you're ready, please stand as a sign that you're giving him your body. Holy Spirit, we know you're here. We know you're here. And if you're at home, you can stand, you can put your hands up, you can respond in a way that feels authentic to you in the context where you are at the minute. But let's choose to be a people who say, I'm all in, Lord. I lay down my rights to determine my own destiny. I lay down my rights to determine my sexual activities. I lay down my rights in order to take hold of your purpose and plan for my life. Lord, I give you my body. I don't come to you to be defined as into, or to, I don't come to you to be affirmed for how I define myself, but I come to you to be defined. Holy Spirit, would you fill us afresh? Make this commitment count for your glory, that the world would see us distinct and set apart, that the world would see a better narrative in the church for our relationships and that people would come to know you because of what you are doing in us and through us. And all those people said... <laughs>